0: Hello, everybody and welcome to a new episode of bearded things i'm one of your bearded hosts my name is chris and i'm here with my buddy tyler tyler how you doing man
1: i'm good uh we recently survived the internet apocalypse (laughs) of southern california about an hour ago before recording so that was fun
0: yeah that was kind of terrifying for like a couple of minutes uh so pretty much I I look I was looking up online reading what everybody was saying on my phone because there was no interwebs. All of California and parts of Nevada lost the internet. And like maybe 15 years ago, that wouldn't have been a big deal. But that's kind of all we have right now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, that was mildly terrifying. It reminded me of uh the day the earth stood still for like the three people that saw that, the original, not the Keanu version. Uh, pretty much an alien shows up and he's like, Hey, if y'all don't calm down, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, turn off all the electricity on the planet. And then they try to call his bluff, and then he turned off all the electricity on the planet. And I'm like, Great, now we land on Mars and they send their own rover to kill all of mankind.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's what that was my theory was that we, uh, our rover that landed on Mars it sent back the um the sounds on the planet of Mars, and, like, there's something in that sound that fucked up everything, and the world's going to just... It's all—it's over. We're done for.
0: You know, it could have happened, because, I mean, that was the first time anybody, any human heard those noises before, and they're going to be mm-hmm. vibrating at different frequencies that we've never encountered. Mm-hmm. Anything could have happened. It just seemed dangerous. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's a, a, actually a kind of a good talking point, is we just landed on Mars, and... That's
1: exciting, man. That's crazy. It's so fucking cool that um, I know there's like the window that I think it was the UAE, China, US, and France, Japan. Someone else landed a probe on Mars, and I just think it's fucking cool that all these countries are getting to the planet now and we're just able to explore more. It just it makes me really happy.
0: Yeah, it's a great time to be a nerd. There's a lot of science <laughs> happening. <laughs>
1: There was a cool thing I saw today on one of the things I follow on social media. It was someone said that every time there's like a new landing on Mars, he always brings up the thing that Russia landed a probe on Venus. Yes. Two pictures before like the 15 minutes it took to melt the probe. (laughs) That's so fucking cool. I
0: love that. And then uh, a friend of mine posted on the socials. He's like, "Um, Mars is now the only planet that is completely inhabited by robots. Yeah, kind of cool. I like it's it. kind of creepy, and it's very Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> doo, 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 doo. <laughs> so before we go too deep into
1: the wormhole of nerdness, uh,
0: what are you going to be covering this week?
1: I am covering something called the Chumpawat Tiger. I don't think that's in my Frosted Flakes, but I'm excited to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> They're... Gr- oh, nope, nope. Not going to get seen... <laughs> they're green is what I was gonna say in honor of St Patrick's Day coming up soon. hey
0: there you go that kind of tied in <laughs> Shh.
1: we don't have a copyright lawyer please don't see what's coming journal Mills whoever makes whoever right. yeah who even knows anymore yeah. it's
0: funny I knew the guy who voiced that character
1: of the particular serial was his name really Tony
0: uh the actual guy was not his name was Lee and he oh. said he made more money in 15 minutes of being a tiger than he did in his entire career of doing broadcast radio.
1: I mean, it makes sense. Like, cause that's, uh, they still use that soundbite like just the royalties on that alone and the commercials and all the little offshoots they did. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, he did. He did well. <laughs>
1: he did. <Yeah>. All right. <laughs> Wasn't there even a, t- a show at one point or am I thinking, am I just mixing like pink Panther in my head? But I could have sworn there was like a, a tiger show about that character like I don't think so.
0: I think you're blending it with a couple of different things.
1: Could be. Yeah. Shut have all those drugs in high school. <laughs> I did, <laughs> and it turned out great. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so today
0: I will be covering The Vanishing of Carly Goosey. There's something about this particular uh, instance that really bothers me a lot, and I don't know why.
1: Okay. That was very cryptic and vague so thank you but thankfully i'm pretty sure i went first last time so you're going first this time right so therefore we get to find out
0: yeah yeah well, k- kind of uh, you we'll get to all that <laughs> we're gonna be confused together That's <laughs> what you're saying <laughs> pretty much yeah and that might be why it bothers me so much and perhaps it will bother you the same great i didn't want to sleep tonight anyway yeah yeah which we'll get into as well
1: oh great <laughs> a little bit later <laughs>
0: So, uh, again, I'm covering the vanishing of Carly Goosey. And before I get into this, I just want to let everyone know that there are a lot of twists and turns. This story may be unsettling to younger listeners, so listener discretion is advised. Carly Goosey was your normal 16-year-old girl living in a small town of Bishop, California with her dad and stepmother. It was said that Carly took the adjustment of her parents' divorce relatively well. Her mom decided to move to Nevada, so Carly decided to stay with her dad, at least while she finished high school. Her friends have all said that she was sweet, fun, and goofy, and extremely popular. On the evening of Friday, October 12, 2018, she asked her parents if she could go to her high school's football game. It struck her parents as slightly odd, because for the last few days, maybe even a few weeks, Carly was paranoid that someone was tracking her phone. The creepiest part is, to this day, no one knows why Carly thought she was being tracked. Her parents were glad she was getting past her fear and let her go. This is where things began to get a little strange. Instead of going to the game, she went with her boyfriend, Donald, to a house party. And in the realm of teenage kids, this really isn't that unusual. Except, according to Donald, something about Carly seemed very, very wrong. Something happened at the party that terrified her and would change the lives of everyone that knew her and loved her. Around 8 p.m., her stepmom, Melissa, called to ask if she needed a ride home from the football game, which, of course, she wasn't at. Carly said no and that Donald would give her a ride. A few minutes later, something changed. Carly changed. Her boyfriend, Donald, would go on to say, quote, Carly began to panic. She became frantic and impossible to console. She got scared of the music. She got scared of me. Something terrified Carly so much that night, she no longer cared about pretending she was at her high school's football game. Carly called her stepmom less than an hour later and asked if she could come pick her up from the trailer park they were at, saying, Never mind, hurry up. I, I changed my mind. Come get me. I'm booking it down Dixon Lane. Hurry, hurry, hurry. I'm scared. After Carly came clean about having gone to the party instead of the football game, Melissa jumped in the car to go get her. On her way to get Carly, Melissa Goosey recalled that her stepdaughter didn't want to get off the phone and that she was extremely adamant about wanting to be picked up immediately. But when Melissa arrived at the trailer park that night, Carly was nowhere to be seen. She continued driving around searching for Carly. That's when she spotted a faint light coming straight for her. Guided by the light of her cell phone, Carly was frantically making a beeline for Melissa's car in the pitch darkness. In a state of complete hysteria, Carly jumped into the back seat. According to Melissa, quote, She was really pale and she looked like a ghost. Her pupils were really dilated. She kept jumping from seat to seat, worrying that somehow the car would kill her and kept repeating over and over again how scared she was. Melissa later informed police that her stepdaughter had admitted to smoking a substance at the party and that she seemed excessively paranoid and on edge, even after she returned back home. At one point, it took Melissa about 15 minutes to calm Carly down, but she had refrained from taking her to the hospital because she didn't feel that Carly was in immediate physical danger. Melissa believed Carly was just having a bad reaction to something she had taken at the party, but this was just the beginning of Carly's distressing breakdown. Safe back at home, Melissa and her dad, Zachary Gousset, both claimed that Carly was continuing to act very erratically. According to Zachary, he had gotten home from work and had a couple of beers when Melissa and Carly showed up. He said that his daughter would huddle in the corner and act almost afraid of her parents one minute and then in the next she would be telling them how much she loved them. He also explained that she was particularly afraid of her phone and her parents being around her. Melissa and Zachary kept asking Carly what was wrong, but she kept telling them she didn't know. She begged Melissa to spend the night with her, wanting her to paint her toenails, change their hair colors, and read the Bible. In between her odd requests, Carly's mental state was a complete roller coaster, Up and down every few minutes, and just completely erratic in her thought process. She would regain her senses at one moment and fall right back into a state of complete and utter paranoia. At one point in the night, after dealing with Carly's nonstop erratic behavior, Melissa took out her cell phone and secretly recorded Carly with the intention of showing her in the next day what she was doing and how she was acting. She figured this would be an important lesson. Let's show Carly how she behaved while she was under the influence. Since Carly had already gotten suspended from school for a month after she was caught with a particular substance, if you know what I'm saying, (laughs) and had to attend counseling on school campus. Her stepmom ended up recording two separate, secretly recorded videos, and they have not been released to the public. Multiple accounts describe the footage as a short clip of Carly repeatedly saying that she's scared but doesn't know why. However, once Carly's birth mom, Lindsay Fairley, hired a private investigator, they were able to get their hands on this footage. Her mother claimed that the footage told a very different story, an extremely disturbing story at that. According to Lindsay, Carly was begging Melissa to call 911, but she continued refusing to do so. Melissa refuted this, stating that one video captured Carly asking, if something were to happen, would you call 911? And Melissa answered, of course. Fox News was eventually granted permission to listen to one of the two recordings revealing more of Carly's fragile mental state that evening, and it's pretty chilling. According to Fox, Carly's shaking voice conveyed deep angst saying she didn't want to sleep in case she was killed and asking Melissa to call 911 if needed. The teary teen apologized and allegedly continued in something of a panic mode, littered with I love yous and highs talking to her stepmom, who appeared to have been calmly talking her down until 3 a.m. According to Doug Kari from the Las Vegas Review Journal, who also listened to the audio, at one point in the eight-minute audio, Carly says, quote, I really messed up today. And Melissa tries to soothe her by saying, We all do things in life that we regret, substances especially. After Melissa urges Carly to get some sleep, the troubled girl responds, No, I don't want to sleep. You're going to kill me. Melissa tries to reason with her. Why would I kill you? That's preposterous. I'm just thinking all this demonic stuff, Carly sobs. I can't help it. Shortly after the video was filmed, Melissa tried to get Carly to eat a little something before going to sleep and gave her a salad and an energy bar. Carly wouldn't eat anything. She spat the salad out in disgust, saying it was, quote, the devil's lettuce. According to a now-deleted Facebook comment, allegedly written by Melissa, Carly had also been writing on a piece of paper that night for several hours. Whatever she wrote remains a complete mystery. While trying to calm Carly down, Melissa was texting Carly's boyfriend, Donald, who was deeply worried about her. In a text to Donald at 1.27 a.m., Melissa asked him to please pray. Carly's behavior only continued to escalate as the night went on. Melissa stated in a Facebook video, quote, and then she was like, can we go to bed? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, can you come sleep with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Whatever. I'll lay with you and watch a movie. Now, this is where Melissa's story starts to get a bit fuzzy and raises a lot of red flags. At first, Melissa Guse reported that she had put Carly to bed and spent the night in her own room. When she then went to check on Carly and her brothers around 5.45 a.m., she found everyone present and nothing was out of the ordinary until she checked again around 7.45 a.m., and Carly was missing. However, Melissa later changed her story and claimed that she had spent the entire night by Carly's side to make sure she was safe and comfortable. She stated that the last time she saw her stepdaughter, she was in bed beside her at around 5.45 a.m. She briefly woke up before drifting back to sleep, noticing Carly was still awake with her eyes wide open. Then, when Melissa woke again around 7.15 to 7.30, Carly was gone. The front door was left ajar and a single fresh footprint believed to be Carly's left alone track on the driveway. Soon after discovering her absence, Melissa and Zachary assumed that Carly had gone for a walk in the neighborhood to clear her head and kind of come down. Concerned over her mental state, the two of them jumped in the cars and began driving around, frantically attempting to locate her. When they failed to find her, her father gave Carly's biological mother, Lindsay, a call to inform her that Carly was in fact missing. Lindsay was adamant that something seemed wrong with this phone call. She said, quote, at 9.35 a.m. on Saturday, October 13th, I was notified by her father, my ex-husband, that she was gone. Gone to me is a huge red flag and has never sat easily with me, End quote. He then called the Momo County Sheriff's Department and reported her missing. To make matters even more unnerving, the couple also noticed that Carly's cell phone was still at home, which was very uncharacteristic of the teenager and further raised the cause for concern. Carly's boyfriend, Donald, came over to the house after receiving the call that she was missing. According to Donald, he swore he spotted Carly's cell phone by her bed, but according to Melissa, it had been on the island in the kitchen the entire night. Once the police began their investigation of Carly's disappearance, they uncovered three separate witnesses who claimed to have seen someone matching her description walking throughout her neighborhood early on the morning of the disappearance. According to Mono County Sheriff, they are, quote, very credible witnesses. We have no reason to doubt them. Two of the witnesses, the first two, knew Carly, and they had seen her before. So we don't have any reason to question their credibility, end quote. One witness was an educator, another a retired law enforcement, and the final witness was Richard Eddy, who lived just up the street from the uh, Gousses, who was unwinding in his jacuzzi hot tub, sipping a hot cup of coffee, which you do first thing in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's also snowing. So, you know, to each their own. So he's sitting in his hot tub drinking his coffee. Uh, he said, a young girl with long hair was walking by at about 6.30 a.m. to 6.45, but something just didn't seem right about the girl. He said, quote, she was looking up, looking around at the sky with a piece of paper in her hands. It was kind of unusual. We don't have a lot of kids out walking. And I would imagine he wouldn't have a lot of people sitting in hot tubs at 6.30 in the morning drink coffee, but Carly was never seen again. In 2019, investigators have said they are no closer to solving the case than they were when it was fresh. A lot of web sleuths have pointed evidence against her stepmom, but without any actual evidence aside from what was in the police reports, I don't feel personally comfortable going down that rabbit hole and speculating. A few people have suspected the boyfriend, but in his statements and a few interviews he's done, He's pretty genuine in my opinion. His official recount of the night has always been, me and Carly did smoke. It was at my friend's house, like at 7 p.m., not a party. She got very scared, so we started walking back to my house. Carly got scared and ran for me and called Melissa. That was the last time I saw her. She got scared of me and started screaming my name and then pushed me away and told me not to come near her and stay away. And that was when she called Melissa and started running. I tried to hold her to calm her down. No one knows for sure what happened or what made her think she was being tracked or where she could have gone. Nobody has ever been recovered and the case is still open. If anyone has any information, please contact the Mono County Sheriff's office immediately. This was the mysterious disappearance of Carly Goosey. Damn. Yeah. So she's walking around her neighborhood First thing in the morning, and then completely vanishes without a
1: trace. I mean, I don't know. Scientific part of my brain says she got something at that party or the hangout, whatever they were doing. Like whether they, you know, if someone like lay something when she smoked it, and like she had something, and she was just tripping. Like the fact that you know she thought like the the car was gonna kill her, and like the state mom was gonna kill. Like everyone was out to get her. You know what I mean? Like the paranoid, the crazy, like. Oh, oh, yeah, my God. and
0: there was definitely something happened, and uh, I, I don't know if a lot of the kids remember, back around this time, there was this synthetic marijuana called mm. uh, Spice, <laughs> and people were having a lot of really adverse effects mm-hmm. to it. And oh, this, yeah. this could have been that situation, but the problem is... You come down from it pretty quick. That's
1: true. Yeah. I wouldn't last overnight. And then the next morning.
0: Yeah. I mean, 12 hours tops, but you're not that far out mm. there for it. And then a- another interesting thing is even before this, by a few days, if not a few weeks, her family said she believed wholeheartedly her phone was being tracked. Hmm. So how does that tie in does it tie in there's no history uh, of mental illness that's been on record i because i could understand if she had something going on with her and then she did you know a a hallucinogen of any sort Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know
1: that can really cause a spiral amplifies it yeah
0: but there's no record of that at least not in the public um it's just a clean disappearance with some very odd connections
1: yeah that's that's crazy Cause you want to say like, okay, yeah, she, she was tripping. She's like fucking, she was high as shit. She wandered out in the snow. She got trapped somewhere, got lost and you know, died from exposure or whatever. Like that's the thing that makes sense. But then like you're saying, there's all these other little things that don't. And at some point the snow is going to melt. They're going to find, you're going to find something. Right. I mean, like I've, when I coached football, we traveled out into Bishop. We were out in that area. You know, um, I'd go through Bishop all the time now to, you know, when I go, when I meet my son, like we, that's, that's our meeting point is in Bishop. And so I go through Mono County all the time and it's just like, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there, but there's also not a lot of stuff out there. You know what I mean? Like,
0: right. It's kind of one of those, how do you explain it? It's a, it's a small, big little town right off the the freeway.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's,
0: it's one of those towns too, where everybody kind of knows everybody.
1: One of the people I worked with, she was from Bishop, and she talked about that. Like you, everyone knows exactly. Everyone knows who you are. Everyone knows your family. Everyone knows your friends. They all know where you're at, where you're going. Like they all know your business. And that's like the great, the, the even scarier part is that in a town where everyone knows each other, how, how I don't know how, how to do you disappear without exactly a yeah. trace, without someone knowing something exactly. And yeah, it's been you
0: know a few years now, so you would imagine at some point, some if somebody did know something, or if somebody did something. It would leak in that small town. Exactly. But yeah, the fact that she just completely vanished. And there's a lot of stuff that ties back to her stepmom's ever-changing story.
1: Yeah, that's the other part. It's like, well, you got to, that's a pretty big red flag, I think, at least from a law enforcement. I'm sure that's why she's one of the prime suspects.
0: Yeah, the, the law enforcement hasn't actually, actually—they've. she's a person of interest, but that's as far mm-hmm. as it's gone. She hasn't been a suspect yet. Yeah, And web sleuths are all over her because there's just a lot of changing stories, changing timelines in, in the stories that she's told in, in different interviews. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't look good, but just coming from a place of just trying to get as close to facts as I can, I just mm-hmm. didn't feel comfortable going down and, and, and projecting that. For sure. It's definitely weird. Yeah, it's, I think so. Yeah, I, I don't know if the mom was involved with that, or if all of a sudden, y- you know, it's, sometimes it's hard for people to keep their story straight, not for any bad reason, it's just the way their brain works. Mm-hmm. You know, benefit of the doubt, because again, there's no evidence. And the fact that she just disappeared in broad daylight, that that's the part that always bothered me. It's frustrating, and that makes it, I think, even more bizarre that there is zero lead, zero evidence. It's like mm-hmm. she literally
1: fell off the face of the earth well now that our minds are conveniently fucked let's take a <laughs> commercial break and we're back and now i believe it is time for us to get into banter with the Beardsleys.
0: so tyler what is banter with the beardsleys
1: banter with the beardsleys is our fun unscripted off-the-cuff conversation with the two of us where people submit in their questions, their statements, just something they that's on their mind, and we take it, we run with it, and yeah, it's just it's a lot of fun. It's a it's a fun way for us to have a nice little. Sometimes our topics are very serious, and this is like a good kind of break from that, and lets us smile and hopefully do some laughing because we laugh a lot during these segments.
0: That's very true. So I understand you have this week's banter topic.
1: I do. And it comes from our friend Mouse and um super fun and light topic he says are you able to lay in bed without your foot or hand hanging off the side and do you get nervous or anxious thinking something will grab you and pull you out of bed <sighs> well i want to just start by saying i feel personally attacked by
0: this. <laughs> um so okay so i'm like i have to have one foot out when i go to sleep or i'll feel like trapped and you get super claustrophobic and I freak out. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm definitely like a one foot out kind of person. But then, right, some nights, it's not that I'm afraid something's going to grab my foot and like pull me out of bed because I'm a big dude. So that'd be a lot of work. And there's a very small space between my bed and the, the foot of the bed and the wall. So,
1: hey, demons are strong, man.
0: Well, yeah, but then it goes back to the space. They're just, I'll just hit the wall and that's. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> <Yeah>. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> So uh every once in a while, especially after doing a particularly creepy episode or watching something particularly creepy, um, I'm aware that there is the the demon monster in the room. And I'll start with the foot out and then I'm like, they see my foot. And then I tuck it back into the blanket where I'm now now safe because the <laughs> universal protect, safety yeah. absolutely universal safety is under the blankets. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my take on it. Um, I guess I'm not too worried about my arm being out though. Thinking about it, I, now I might be because <laughs> <laughs> thanks, mouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the thing can just grab my arm. But yeah, I'm more so. Um, I'm not. Yeah, not. I've never really looked at it as uh being pulled out of the bed. Just more so either. I think it's noticed. I'm worried about being noticed, so going under the blankets is like my my shield of invisibility, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm I, it makes me safe, and I feel safe until now. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what about you? Are you a uh, worried about be- being grabbed by unseen forces type?
1: No, not necessarily. Um, I I read a book a long time ago. Um, I've talked about it before on the podcast called "John Dies at the End." And in one of them, one of the scenes, he falls asleep with his hand like laying, hanging off the bed, and he wakes up to like the feeling of being licked by, and he thinks it's his dog. And then like he hears his dog walk down the hallway, and he freaks out because something's licking his hands. And so ever since I read that, I'm like, nope, I'm never keeping my hands off because I'm afraid because I had dogs at the time. I'm afraid that like I'm gonna have the dog like laying on the bed with me, and I'm gonna feel something lick my hands, um, and it's not gonna be like you know something explainable. So I've never done that but it was never really out of a like it was like an, a rational fear with that but I'm also really weird when I sleep I um I always have to have something covering me like even when it's 100 degrees outside and it's you know 9,000 degrees in the house um I still have to have like a sheet on me I can't just be one of those people that just like fall asleep like on top of the bed like I can't I can't do it I have to be covered with something so because of that I'm usually really tucked in into the bed and I know that's like a whatever coping thingy Bobber, it helps with you know feeling like the cover the tightness the snugness the the, Um, uh, the swaddling exactly yeah it's like the swaddling thing yeah um so that's where my i don't want to say fear but my aversion to sticking a leg or a foot or you know a hand out um also like i sleep on my stomach or like my side most of the time so like my hands are usually kind of like near the edge of the bed so it's not that kind of fear i will say one time i fell asleep and i rolled over and like my hand fell off like Like, my arm was, like, off the side of the bed, but it was, like, the edge of the bed was, like, my elbow, and so, like, the back of my elbow was pushed on the bed, and, like, my hand was just kind of dangling off, and I woke up the next morning, and my hand was completely numb, (laughs) and I couldn't, like, bend it, like, trying to bend my elbow was, like, the hardest thing ever, and my elbow hurt for, like, three days. Yeah, and I so I'm sleep. Like, yeah, I'm never doing that.
0: <laughs> I sleep with my arm tucked under my head,
1: like under the pillows. Yep. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
0: every once in a while, same thing, where it falls asleep, and it's just the worst thing to wake up to.
1: Yeah, it's like yeah, especially like when you wake up in the morning, you're like you try and turn your phone alarm off, and you're like, I can't do anything because my <laughs> buttons are made of cement or my fingers are made of cement. Uh, I will say back uh, to to Mouse's situation
0: uh, question. So when <laughs> I was younger. I grew up in a small town called Huaynimi, which is not a very big town. Huaynimi. And the apartment was built on a Native American burial ground. And there was a lot of very weird things that would happen often in my apartment. Things would move. Things would fly. Things would vanish. And uh, my closet always creeped me out bad. Like, it's the only spot of the house that just really really creep me out so i would uh face when i would fall asleep i'd face away from the closet mm. and cover up completely so that way whatever lived in my closet couldn't stare at me and i think part I, of me like still kind of does that <laughs> where it's like nope creepy feeling over in this corner and turning the other mm. way
1: covering up completely no, i do the same thing like if my i have a closet in my room that has like the doors on it and If the the closet doors aren't closed, like I won't go to bed because I know the boogeyman's going to come out in my sleep and murder me. The
0: the closet monster is legit. The one under the bed is totally fake and it's just fake news. Your parents (laughs) put that in your head to make you scared. The closet monster will get you, and that's a scientifically proven fact. I don't have any evidence over that, but it's real.
1: It's real. It's got to be real. We'll ask Neil with the grass Tyson.
0: Yeah, I will tweet him tonight. So, yeah, I hope that answered Mouse's question.
1: Yeah, I hope so, too. We kind of rambled a little bit, but I think the gist of it was there, I hope.
0: Yeah. So, now that banter with the Beardsleys is out of the way,
1: uh, you are up, sir. Are you ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Woo! All right. So, for today's episode, I was feeling kind of like Bernie Sanders, but instead of asking for your financial support, I am once once again asking you to travel with me to Southern Asia to bring you my story. Socialist. Because, I know, right? God. Because like I said, I am covering the Chumpawatt tiger. And like Chris, who had full disclosure in his topic, it's weird. It's like we're best friends or something. I have full disclosure here as well. When anyone asks me what my favorite animal of all time is, I'm going to say without a doubt, it's the Bengal tiger. (laughs) 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 Um, But It's going to be the Bengal tiger every single time. And I don't know if it's because my Chinese Zodiac is a tiger, which I looked up for a really long time. I don't, I don't, it feels wrong to call it the Chinese Zodiac, but every time I looked it up, like the other, only other thing it said was like your inner animal, but it's still referred to as the Chinese Zodiac. So I think that's fine because
0: it's from China.
1: Yeah. I just wasn't sure. Like if that's what it was, like, I just want to make sure there was like a derogatory like undertone. So if someone knows and I'm calling it the wrong thing, please, by all means, call me out and be like, Hey, fuck, that's not what we call it anymore i won't get mad i promise um i also had a nickname growing up of tiger um so whatever it was i love tigers and i love everything about them so much so that my very first america online instant messenger account was tyler tiger 13 yep i'm old fuck off (laughs) not only are tigers beautiful animals but they're also amazing hunters adult tigers can run as fast as a racehorse and they have hearing so sensitive that allegedly they can hear the sound of someone swallowing or breathing through their nose they also have remarkable survival skills considering they have been hunted to near extinction in today's day and age now i despise poachers and those rich pricks that go on the safari to hunt like wild animals all the time but in the 1800s and into the early 1900s i can kind of see why they were hunted so fiercely in the year 2009 they did a study scientists they the big day they did a study To see how deadly tigers were around the world between 1800 because that's when records first begin to be recorded about tiger attacks and when the study was done in 2009. Over 373,000 people have been killed by tigers worldwide with a majority of those in southern and southeast Asia. If you do the math that's roughly 3,422 deaths a year all by tigers. And the 373,000 is a rough estimate because there's a lot of villages that never reported any deaths. In the 1930s, according to the study, there was a five-year period where there were over 7,000 deaths during that five-year time. During the late 1800s into the early 1900s, many people were living in fear of tiger attacks as villages and civilizations spread further and further into the natural habitats of tigers. In 1903, one particular tiger began a spree that would put most human serial killers to shame. I speak, of course, of my topic, the Champawat Tiger. I should also fix that because the Champawat killers was female, so technically it's the Champawat Tigress. During 1903, the Tigress was, would be held responsible for 436 confirmed deaths. It is estimated that could be upwards of around 100 more, but they weren't able to confirm that it was the same tiger. So how does a single animal kill so many humans? Well, like I said, around this time period, There was a boom in settlers in the region, which at the time was a British colony. As the settlers arrived, they stretched the borders of villages and towns further and further into the hunting territory of the majestic tiger. But for this particular case, the tigress actually began her spree in the nearby country of Nepal. In the beginning of 1903, the tigress is estimated to have killed around 200 men, women, and children in a Rupal village on the western edge of Nepal. Hunters were were called in to try to kill the tigress, but she was able to escape each time using that speed and amazing hearing I spoke of earlier. Eventually, the government got tired of their constituents being the the main course at the Tiger Buffet. Which, side note, the Tiger Buffet sounds like a delicious Asian-style buffet restaurant that I would totally eat at. But back to my story. The government decides to take action and they call on the Nepalese army to try to kill the tigress. But this badass tigress was still able to evade the army, all the soldiers, and was able to continue her spree. Over time, the army decided to abandon killing her, but rather set their mission to preventing deaths and trying to force her out of Nepal. They set up a patrol, and whenever they spotted the tigers, they would shoot and make noise, trying to scare her off. Then they would expand their perimeter until eventually she would would leave her territory and was forced across the border into India. The Champawat tigress soon found many new villages who had no idea where she came from and why she was there, and all of these villages centered around the main village of Champawat which is what gives her her name. With her new hunting ground, she was able to eat well for many years. She developed a unique hunting style for Bengal tigers in that she would travel very long distances between kills. Many originally thought it was just a coincidence and that there was a pack of tigers hunting in the area. However, tigers are not like lions. They don't hunt in a pride or a pack. They're primarily antisocial creatures and they like to be by themselves. Secondly, the size of the Champawat tigress gave her away. Most female tigers range about 7 to 8 feet from head to tail and weigh about 300 pounds. The tiger's, however, was established at well over 9 feet long and much larger. Some estimates put her close to 400 pounds. So villagers were able to point, pinpoint that it's the same massive tiger doing all the killings. There's also a pattern emerging where the victims were mostly young women and children who were being killed. This is believed to be so prevalent because the young women and children were the ones that were often sent out into the forest to collect small game and items to build fires and crafting objects. The killings also went against what was thought to be the norm for tigers in terms of their hunting patterns. Many believe that tigers only hunted at night due to their better eyesight, but the Champawat tigers chose to hunt during the day when there were more villagers out and about. Sadly, due to acts of cowardice by the men in many villages, the killings continued to be young women and children because the men refused to leave their huts and instead, sent their wives, daughters, and sons out to fords for supplies. Eventually, the local government had to do something, so they reached out to hunters from all over the area to hunt the tigress, but still none could finish the task. In 1907, the deputy commissioner, whose name was Charles Henry Bethard, decided to speak to his friend, Colonel James Corbett. Corbett was the son of a postmaster who had a reputation for being an outstanding hunter and tracker. He was one of 15 children And to pass the boredom as a child, he hunted with the local indigenous tribes. He allegedly killed his first leopard at the age of 10. Described as an enigmatic Irishman, Corbett was a rare breed of hunter who could go all day and night and hunt, kill large prey, and then wake up and sit with local snobby leadership and not skip a beat. When asked to hunt the tigress, he stated that he had never, quote, bagged a nomadic man-eating tiger, but I'll give it a try. Side note, this dude totally missed out on a glorious pun and could have just said, I'll give it a shot. But, you know, whatever. He could have been so much cooler. Anyway, Corbett arrived in the village of Nain-Natal and told local officials he would take on the hunt on two conditions. The first was that the payments and rewards for, for the killing must be canceled and all other hunters who had been sent out to be recalled. He asked this because, quote, My reasons for making these conditions need no explanation, for I am sure all sportsmen share my aversion to being classified as a reward hunter and are as anxious as I am to avoid the risk of accidentally being shot by a dummy. It took only five days for a report of a possible sighting and death to come from a village which was 60 miles away. Corbett and a team of six locals set out for the village, where it was said a woman was dragged out of a tree and dragged off. When he arrived, Corbett found the village in, quote, a state of abject terror with everyone refusing to leave their homes. Corbett was a master tracker and he spent about a week trying to track the tigers, but was unable to find anything. One of the members of his team suggested they go to the village, which appeared to be the center of the hunting ground and wait for news. This is when they traveled to the local village of Champawat. Only a day or so after arriving, they received word that a 16 year old girl was dragged into the forest by a large tiger. Corbett traveled as quickly as possible and was able to track a blood trail that led him into the ravine outside the village. While following the blood, Corbett discovered a skirt, some bone fragments, and eventually a human leg that was still warm. Corbett was on high alert, but after hours of searching, which I can only imagine was pinch-shittingly terrifying, he decided to give up and return to the village. The next day, he was able to round up about three hundred villagers to form a hunting party to help track and hopefully surround the tigress. The plan was brilliant in its simplicity. Corbett set up his team on the edges of the ravine and told them to be as loud as possible. Literally fire the rifles into the air, bang on drums, and scream as loud as fucking possible. Meanwhile, Corbett just sat there chilling at the opening of the ravine like it was Best Buy after Thanksgiving and he was really, really wanting to get his hands on a PS5. After a short amount of time, Corbett spotted the Tigris. He described it as, quote, "...a striped apparition, too fleet to be real, erupting from the shadows." He opened fired on the tigress, but being the amazing marksman that he was, he missed. He fired again, hit the tigress on the shoulder. He fired a third time and hit the tigress on the chest, but she was still charging. In a scene straight out of a movie, Corbett went to fire a fourth time, but nothing happened because he was out of rounds for his gun. Honestly, pretty shitty hunter if you ask me, because he literally only brought three rounds to bring down a massive tiger. Like, what the fuck, dude? Anyway, Corbett turns, sprints to a companion, takes his gun, then turns, aims, and fires. The shot hits the tigress low, like super low, like in the foot low, but it does enough damage to, and it causes the tigress to stumble and fall. This action, coupled with the chest and shoulder wound, put the tigress down for the count as she quickly bleeds out. I imagine Corbett turns to a member of his team, who is probably wearing a red shirt and says, hey, go poke it, make sure it's dead. We obviously don't know if this actually happened, but that's kind of what makes my, my brain happy. Also, for all of you non-nerds out there, this is a reference to Star Trek and the members of the crew wearing red shirts dying pretty quickly. What we do know is that while Corbett was a pretty avid hunter and tracker, he was really not particular, particularly fond of killing animals. While the villagers celebrated and prepared feasts, Corbett twi- quietly took the skin of the animal, rolled it behind a saddle, and rode out of town on a horse. Again, my overactive ADD brain imagines some small child trying to see Corbett riding out of town and asked his father, Who is that man? To which the dad answers, Son, that there isn't a man. What you see riding out of this town is a legend. Then we zoom cut to Corbett riding slowly away, head down in somber thought. He looks up into the setting sun and whispers, I'm the goddamn Tiger King. Corbett becomes a celebrity overnight and is called out to hunt dozens of animals, and he does very well. Besides the Chompawet Tigress, his other famous kill was the Bachelor of Goth which was over 10 feet long and stood for years as the most sought af trophy kill in the mid-1920s. He would go on to write a book about his time spent hunting. After his last big kill in 1938, at the age of 63, he decided to take a twist turn upside down and dedicated his remaining years to conserving land for the wild animals and fought to see them protected. As for our tigress and why she killed so many humans, there's a few theories. Most popular is that she was driven from her natural habitat due to the deforestation and clearing of lands as more and more settlers arrived in the region. This should explain her prolonged exposure to humans, but why kill so many of them? Well, a postmortem autopsy of the tigress found that her top and bottom canine teeth on the right side of her mouth were badly fractured and damaged, so she wasn't able to, to properly chew her prey. This also prevented her from defending herself against rival tigers, as well as hunting the normal prey that had tougher hides humans as we kind of know we have very thin skin compared to wild animals so the tigers decided to chomp on humans which is like the equivalent of us eating soft food after we get dental to work today the amount of tigers in the wild is estimated at only 300 3,980 according to the world wildlife fund and they've been hunted to almost near extinction the amount of deaths attributed to tigers is around 40 to 50 per year and conversely if you think about it that's way less than most wild animals one for example is an elephant which kills around 350 people every year the most common location of tiger related attacks usually stems from attacks on zookeepers where tigers are kept in captivity just recently in 2014 a tiger in india escaped a nature preserve and killed 10 people over the course of a six-week spree the preserve the tiger escaped from the jim corbett national park preserve and that, my bearded friends, is the story of the deadliest confirmed tiger in history, the Champa Tigress.
0: I kind of feel bad for the Tigress.
1: I did too. When I kept reading, I'm like, man, like, I know she killed a lot of people, but it's like we were kind of dicks, and so we just like got in her territory, and then she was just trying to defend herself.
0: Yeah, and she was hungry. Like, yeah, you know, and
1: a girl's got to eat, you know?
0: Exactly. That's rough, poor thing. But I do like the the redemption of the hunter who opened up like a refuge and dedicated the rest yeah, of his life. Yeah, he to-
1: tried. Yeah. Like it's kind of weird. Like I know I read like they're trying to make a movie based on like the hunt, which it'll probably be some shitty movie that goes straight to Netflix. But um, it's kind of, yeah. Like his, his whole story where he's like, I don't really like killing animals that he kills this animal. And then like, he's like, well, I'm kind of good at this. And he goes and like, hunts like a big prize trophy. And then he's like, no, I'm done.
0: It's like the, uh, the, the, the Michael Douglas movie that came out in the early nineties. That's based on a true story of a similar attack in Africa. Uh, the ghost in the darkness, and it was these two lions that would like pick at, <clears throat> excuse me, pick at uh different like mining camps at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, the lion would just run in, grab somebody, and then take off into the jungle, and the other one would distract. So they had like this whole thing, so it became oh, interesting. Yeah, it was this really wild thing that was kind of similar, but yeah, I always end up just kind of feeling bad for the animal. And a, a cool little factoid I, I learned recently is there's more wild cats in captivity in North America than there are in the wild.
1: Yeah. So,
0: a little uh, humanitarian segment yeah. for the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my tiger story.
0: If somebody wanted to send in and give us a, a topic for Banter with the Beardsleys, maybe a story idea, or just a creepy story, or just wants to say hello, where hmm. and how can they do that?
1: You go to any of our social medias, our Instagram is at BeardedThingsPod. Our Facebook is Facebook.com slash BeardedThings. We have a really cool Facebook friends group. Please find us on that. It is the Bearded, Things Bearded Friends group. Lots of good conversations. We had a really long segment about trying to get a watch party started to force me to watch Coco. Good luck, jerks. I'm not doing it. Um, no, I'll do it soon. I just, it works busy. I don't want to cry all the time. Um, aside from those two places, you can also go to our YouTube, which is at BeardedThings and our uh, at Bearded Things pod and our Twitter account, which is at Bearded Things. We also have a website, which is www.beardedthings.com. We have a contact us form there. You can fill out and send it to us. You can also send us cool emails because we like reading emails. Our main contact email is, funny enough, called contact us at And you can either send me or Chris a personal email if you want. Chris's email is chris at beardedthings.com, and I am Tyler at beardedthings.com. I think that's it. If you have our number, text us, call us, (laughs) say hi. We love hearing from you guys. Absolutely. And
0: that'll just about do it for this week. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye.